Hello and welcome to the latest Herbert Smith Freehills podcast. My name's Andrew Rich. I'm a partner in the corporate group at the firm. Today we're going to talk about creditors' schemes of arrangement and we're lucky to be joined by my fellow partner and one of Australia's leading restructuring experts, Paula Party. Hi Andrew, great to be here. Creditors' schemes of arrangement, well what are they? Those of our listeners who are familiar with shareholder schemes of arrangement um, will quite quickly see that creditors' schemes are actually not all that different. Uh, creditors' schemes are simply a statutory mechanism for modifying a lender's rights and their obligations against a group of their creditors. Simply put, the company can modify rights, um, engage in debt compromises with their creditors with a simple 75% vote by value of the creditors and a majority in number of them. Basically, a creditor's scheme just involves a three-stage process, a first court hearing where the court will give permission for the lender to send out some disclosure materials to the creditors. There's the second stage is a simple vote. And the third stage, you come back to the court again for the court to consider whether it's appropriate to approve the scheme. In recent years, and particularly since the GFC, we've seen the resurgence of the creditor scheme in Australia. Many transactions will be familiar to our listeners. The Alinta deal, Nine, Centro, Emico, Bought Longyear, Slater and Gordon, and most recently Biz Industries, which Paul will talk about a little later on. Paul, what do you put down the recent resurgence in creditor schemes in Australia to? Well, fundamentally, Andrew, the creditor scheme of arrangement is a fantastic debt restructuring tool for implementing deals between a company and its creditors. A scheme of arrangement is used in the restructuring context to bind groups of creditors, usually lenders or bondholders, to a restructuring deal with the company. It's particularly useful as a tool in large restructurings where you have large numbers of financial creditors and you're not certain whether all of the creditors are willing to agree to the deal. It allows you to get everybody over the line. The other thing which is really useful about a creditor scheme of arrangement as opposed to other procedures is that a a scheme of arrangement isn't a formal insolvency process. The director and the management of the company stay in control and to a large extent the company can pursue business as normal while trying to resolve its financial difficulty. What do you put down the recent resurgence to? It's it's really only been since the um, the end of the GFC that we've seen creditor schemes return to Australia. What do you put that down? What's changed since the GFC? Well, there has been a general global trend towards restructuring and away from historically a more formal uh, approach to insolvency using uh, insolvency procedures. And that was really sort of borne out in the financial crisis and then has continued since. What we've seen in uh, the last 10 to 15 years is that formal insolvency procedures are very destructive to modern businesses and companies. Uh, A formal insolvency procedure will generally bring business uh, to, to almost a standstill. The processes are very lengthy and complicated. It has a a very detrimental effect on customer and supplier confidence, and it often leads to large numbers of contracts being terminated between the company and its counterparties. The whole process is is very expensive, it's very legal and procedural. 
So it doesn't lead to the best outcomes for, for all the stakeholders in a business. In contrast, where companies and their debts can be restructured so as to avoid formal insolvency, this tends to lead to significantly better outcomes for both lenders and creditors and the company and the business itself and its other stakeholders. Restructuring is particularly relevant where corporate distress is driven by there being too much debt or over leverage in the business. In those cases, the solution is, is therefore to reduce the debt, and usually that's done by the lenders exchanging some or all of their debt in exchange for obtaining ownership of the restructured company. This over-leverage and the debt-for-equity approach has been a big factor in financial distress and therefore the response through restructuring in recent years. The other factor which I think has is, is driven this change has been the real increase in secondary debt investors in the, uh, in the financial markets and ultimately in the restructuring scene. Secondary debt investors are not subject to some of the same restrictions as bank lenders are in terms of the types of instruments they can hold and often take a more proactive uh, approach to restructuring, really seeking to turn the business around quickly. This helps drive restructuring and ultimately the use of creditor schemes of arrangement to achieve those deals. And Paul, you've touched on some of the thematic issues that you've seen on a more global scale. Are there any Australian-specific trends that you've noticed in recent times? Yes, well, I think to some extent Australia has been playing catch-up since the financial crisis. Uh, Schemes of arrangement and uh, restructuring of of large companies has been uh, a process which has been sort of well used before the financial crisis in other markets, um, such as the United States and Europe, that it's really only been following the financial crisis that that started to take off in Australia. Some of the factors that I think um, have driven that is really the uh, having f- professionals who've worked offshore returning to Australia and bringing some of that technology with them. The fact that banks in Australia are, are tending to take a uh, more of a back seat in restructurings now and, and corporates are driving more of the conversation about what the, the solution should be to financial distress. We're also seeing banks in Australia have been more willing in recent years to consider selling down their debt to secondary investors. And as as I mentioned before, those secondary investors are now entering the Australian market and are interested in becoming key players in restructurings down here. It's those secondary investors that are really driving the loan-to-own type debt-for-equity strategies that we've seen in the recent Australian creditor schemes. Paul, one of the things that interests me most as a, as a corporate lawyer about creditors' schemes is that many of the issues that arise on members' schemes of arrangement are also very relevant for, for when we come to structuring creditors' schemes. Um, so the, the usual uh, issues that pop up, such as having to take into account Australians' foreign investment laws need to be considered. So if, as is usually the case, the, uh, the, the lenders that have moved in Um, as part of the loan-to-own strategy of foreign, uh, and they're going to take a significant chunk uh, of the equity in an Australian company, then it is almost certainly the case that they will need to get approval from our federal treasurer, uh, who will be advised by the Foreign Investment Review Board. Similarly, we've seen a number of these creditor schemes involve ASX-listed companies. And although the companies may be suspended from trading at the time, The ASX listing rules continue to apply to these companies 
during the restructuring process. So most notably um, the continuous disclosure regime uh, and also the restrictions on ASX companies issuing more than 15% of their equity without shareholder approval, which throws up all sorts of interesting questions around if a shareholder approval is necessary, what, if anything, um, should you be giving to the shareholders as an incentive uh, for them to, to vote on the transaction. Similarly, if the lenders are expecting to try and take the company private um, as a result of the transaction, or indeed if the company is already private, and after the transaction there will be more than 50 shareholders, that throws into operation the Australian takeover regime. Now, in short, the Australian takeover regime applies to any listed or unlisted public company with more than 50 shareholders. And they have broad restrictions which operate um, above the 20% shareholding level. And to, just to highlight a couple of issues, uh, the, if you're having a, an Australian listed or Australian top company, I should say, you can't have drag-along rights in the constitution because that would almost certainly breach the 20% rule. There are also other restrictions on voting agreements and disposal agreements between major shareholders. That naturally leads people into a discussion and thought about whether, as part of the restructuring, the appropriate vehicle or the appropriate top entity or top co for the group going forward should be an Australian company or indeed a foreign company. And to address some of these takeover issues and desires of a number of lenders, particularly foreign lenders, to not have to be subject to the Australian takeover regime, we've seen companies go with um, Cayman Island entities and the such um, where the takeover regime wouldn't apply. Indeed, that was the structure that we uh, employed on the recent biz uh, scheme of arrangement, which we'll, we'll talk about shortly. The other interesting feature to me about creditor schemes is that there are no restrictions uh, on pre-scheme voting agreements in the same way that there are in members' schemes. So in members' schemes, you can only ever get um, pre-scheme commitments in respect of 20% of the shares without triggering or breaching Australia's takeover laws. Those restrictions do not apply in creditor schemes, and the courts, uh, both in Australia and the UK, have indicated that they're very comfortable with creditor schemes where the vote has effectively um, been determined before the meeting with the requisite majorities having been achieved or having committed to vote in favour of the scheme. So that gives deal certainty to these companies which are going through a, a period of distress and that they know that going through the scheme process itself is not going to be a wasted effort. That, of course, is not to say that the court uh, approval process should be disregarded. Um, that remains, as ever, a very important piece of the scheme process. In short, the court still, uh, at the final court hearing, has a broad fairness discretion to decide whether or not to approve the scheme, even if it has um, achieved the statutory approvals from creditors. And indeed, in the recent Bort Longyear scheme of arrangement, we saw the court, the New South Wales Supreme Court, refuse to approve a scheme of arrangement that had achieved the requisite thresholds. Paul, I mentioned a little earlier on in this podcast about the Biz Industries creditors scheme of arrangement that you and I worked on uh, last year. It was one of the most groundbreaking creditor schemes that we've seen in this country. 
Would you mind please just giving a little bit of background to what happened with Biz Industries and how that restructuring unfolded? Sure. So Biz Industries is an Australian-based group in the resource logistics and material handling market. What that essentially means is it ran a number of businesses involved in the transport of mining, uh, mining ore from mining sites through to uh, the ports where it was shipped out to foreign markets. The, the Bus Industries Group was acquired by a private equity sponsor some years ago, and that acquisition was funded by a large leverage financing package. In more recent years, the, the, there's been pressure on the commodities market, and that, uh, that pressure has found its way through to the mining industry and related mining services sector companies like Bus Industries. Prior to the restructure, the, the debt of the BIS group was approximately 1.2 billion Australian dollars. That consisted of a senior loan of approximately 700 million dollars owed by BIS Finance and subordinated payment in kind notes of approximately 400 million US dollars owed by um, a holding company of BIS Finance. By mid 2016, it was clear to the equity sponsor that the group was severely over-leveraged, that its equity had no value, and that the cash flow of the group was severely constrained. As a result, the company and the sponsors began engaging with the senior lenders in restructuring discussions. However, over the following six months, there was relatively limited progress in those discussions. During that time, the bank lenders and the senior loan began selling down their positions. By the start of 2017, virtually all of the senior banks had sold out and the larger senior lenders uh, were therefore secondary fund investors who'd bought into the position during that period. The secondary fund investors brought a somewhat different perspective to the restructuring discussions and they were more open to using a debt-for-equity swap as a restructuring solution for the BIS Industries Group. Having crossed that hurdle, the biggest issue then to be negotiated was the treatment of the PIC note holders. The PIC notes were subordinated to the senior debt and there was a serious question as to whether the, the, the PIC notes were also underwater such that they had no economic value. Ultimately, a commercial deal was reached whereby under the restructuring, the PIC note holders would be entitled to receive 4% of the equity in the restructured group with the remaining 96% being held by the senior lenders. The PIC note holders would have obtained this 4% in exchange for their, their assistance in implementing the, the, net, the schemes of arrangement and the rest of the restructuring process. Paul, it was, as I said, one of the uh, most groundbreaking creditor schemes that we've seen in this country. Um, some of those features related to the um, how exactly the debt for equity restructure was implemented. There were also other features relating to the um, governance and equity rights. But did you want to just talk about the uh, how exactly the debt for equity restructure itself was implemented? Sure. So the restructuring itself was implemented in two stages, which in and of itself was a somewhat unique approach in the Australian market. The first stage of the restructuring involved a transfer of ownership 
and the BIS Industries Group to the senior lenders. That transfer was implemented via a scheme of arrangement in respect of the senior lenders. Under the scheme, the shares in BIS Finance um, were transferred to a newly incorporated Cayman Islands entity that was owned by the senior lenders. That transfer was made in exchange for the senior lenders agreeing to release the guarantee and security obligations uh, given by the owner of BIS Finance. This was effectively an initial stabilising step for the group um, under which uh, the company could demonstrate it, it had the backing of its senior lender group and was under new ownership. However, none of the debt was compromised at that point, so the group continued to be subject to the full $700 million of senior debt. However, because the pick notes were issued by a holding company of this finance, the pick notes were able to be effectively left behind at that stage of the restructuring process. At the same time as the senior scheme of arrangement was proposed, there was also a scheme of arrangement in respect of the pick notes. Under that scheme of arrangement, the pick note holders approved the transfer of BIS Finance to the senior lender vehicle, and the pick note holders also received, in exchange for giving that approval, an entitlement to 4% of the shares in the new owner of the group upon completion of stage of the stage two recapitalization of the group. We then moved on to stage two of the restructuring, which was the recapitalization. This occurred once the senior scheme was implemented and the group had been transferred to the senior lender vehicle. The recapitalization occurred by way of a debt for equity swap under which the senior lenders forgave significant amount of the senior debt in exchange for receiving 96% overall of the group. The senior debt was reduced from 700 million to 238 million in exchange for 96% of the shares in UCI. At the same time that the senior debt for equity swap occurred, the pick noters, note holders were then issued their 4% of the shares in the group. The second stage two phase did not occur under the, the senior scheme of arrangement, but was implemented by way of a, a separate uh, contractual debt for equity mechanic. I mean, those, those features of this creditor scheme, I think, Paul, just go to highlight just how powerful creditor schemes can be in finding structural solutions to incredibly complex financing situations. Um, we've seen creditor schemes used... Um, in Australia and in the UK in a variety of situations, including uh, obviously debt compromises, um, standstills, simple amend and extend arrangements. Um, and um, w what's particularly interesting to me here is that this the scheme of arrangement did nothing more than it implemented a standstill. What we saw was this uh, amendment document that amended the terms of the financing arrangements actually allow for a post-scheme debt for equity restructure. If that post-scheme restructure was approved by 80% by value of the senior lenders, were it not for the scheme of arrangement, 
that restructure would have required unanimous consent of the senior lenders. Now, what's interesting about that is that the courts have previously, uh, in the context of members' schemes of arrangement, been very reluctant to approve a scheme that contains within it a power for its own self-amendment. That issue was drawn to the court's attention in the BIS scheme, but the court ultimately got comfortable in this case with the fact that the restructure would be implemented outside the scheme. And there are a number of reasons why the court got comfortable with this issue, but one of which was that um, this was not a provision which amended the scheme itself or allowed for an amendment of the scheme. All the scheme achieved was a standstill. But the key reason the court did get comfortable was because this was just an amendment to a finance document. Effectively, the approval threshold was changed from 100% down to 80%, albeit that the circumstances in which that power could be exercised were within a very narrow, defined set of circumstances. Paul, now that we've seen um, a series of creditor schemes in Australia, what do you see for the future? Where do you see schemes being used? What sort of trends, themes, what developments are you expecting? Well, as you say, Andrew, I think the the BIS industry scheme just shows the incredible flexibility uh, and potential of schemes of arrangement as a tool to implement restructurings uh, in in the manner that uh, counterparties need uh, to implement their restructurings. One of the things which I think has been of particular interest uh, in, in recent months has been the idea of using a scheme of arrangement simply to amend and extend finance documents where most of the lenders uh, are willing to uh, extend a loan for a further period of years, uh, but there may be one or two holdout lenders who are not willing to do that. Um, The scheme of arrangement uh, could potentially be used in those circumstances to force the minority lenders to also extend their lending on similar terms. Another area where we've, we've seen innovation recently in schemes of arrangement is in connection with shareholder class actions. In many cases where there's corporate distress of listed companies in Australia, there's the threat that shareholders will bring class actions in respect of uh, failure to properly disclose the financial state of the company as it's got into distress. And clearly in those sort of circumstances, no one's going to want to put in any good money into a company if there are outstanding shareholder claims that need to be dealt with. Um, I, I, I think your, the, the, the Slater and Gordon example of that was um, an interesting situation where it was a listed company. There were threatened shareholder class actions. Clearly resolving the class action situation was absolutely critical to any restructuring solution going through in that case. Yes, I, I think that's right. And those, those dynamics will continue to be present in a number of restructurings going forward. The scheme of arrangement is a, a very useful tool in those cases to be able to bind a very wide potential class of creditors, many of whom will be unknown at the time you're seeking to put the restructuring through. The other interesting development that we've seen sort of more broadly in the Asia-Pacific market uh, has been going on in Singapore. Singapore has introduced 
a series of amendments to their legislation dealing with schemes of arrangement to bolt on additional powers and tools that have been inspired largely by Chapter 11 of the US Bankruptcy Code. Some of the things that they've introduced in Singapore include a much broader moratorium that can be obtained by a company while it goes through the process of proposing a scheme so as to provide more breathing space. We've also seen the introduction of a cross-class cram-down, which potentially allows creditors to pass a scheme in one class and still affect creditors in different classes who don't vote in favour of the scheme, something which is currently not possible under classic schemes of arrangement in uh, England and Australia. We're also seeing uh, the introduction of what's been referred to as a prepack scheme, a sort of shortcut version of the scheme of arrangement process whereby the first court hearing and the formal meeting of creditors can be dispensed with if the company is able to demonstrate that the, the scheme has the backing of sufficient creditors to, to, to pass the, the necessary 75% value and majority by number thresholds. All of those developments are very interesting and potentially quite useful tools for restructurings. Singapore is, is hoping that by introducing these tools into its statute book, it will attract restructurings from across the region to be done in Singapore. And that could potentially include restructurings of Australian companies. Whether that will happen remains to be seen. It is, however, a useful prompt to Australia to consider whether we should also adopt some of these tools here to help facilitate restructurings in this jurisdiction. Thank you, Paul, for your, your insights there. The, clearly, there's scope for Australia to uh, embark on some legislative reform. We dabbled in that space back in 2009 uh, with a number of very sensible reforms that were proposed to the Members' Scheme of Arrangement regime by the now-defunct CAMAC organisation. Uh, it was a crying shame that those reforms were never enacted into our law. But I think now with countries like Singapore seizing the initiative in the space, uh, it really is time for Australia to revisit our creditor scheme laws and our member scheme laws and to make sure that they are meeting the needs of um, the business community. Those laws uh, were enacted in the late um, 1800s and have really not been changed since. Well, just to wrap up, I mean, creditor schemes, as people will hopefully have gleaned um, from this podcast, are a very powerful restructuring tool. They're here to stay. Uh, and I think the, the message that's coming through loud and clear as we see more and more of these in the market is that their flexibility means there is very very little um, in terms of restrictions on how you can structure a, a restructuring option. And uh, creditor schemes... Uh, will often provide a sensible uh, and perhaps the only way forward to implement a restructuring. Paul, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you very much. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes please go to our channel on iTunes or SoundCloud and visit our website herbertsmithfreehills.com for more insights relevant to your business.